0: The Ontario government this morning unveiled its plan for the healthcare system in the province. The government will be creating a new health agency to bring uh, everything together under one umbrella. To talk more about all of this, Reja Debeer is with us, professor, Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation, Faculty of Medicine, Professor, Social and Behavioral Health Sciences Division, Dalalana School of Public Health, sorry, Dalalana School of Public Health, University of Toronto, and is with us now. Reja, thanks so much for the time. Much. Appreciate it. Thanks. Reja, an ongoing issue for governments of all stripes, certainly one of the biggest challenging uh, challenges for government. What are your thoughts when you hear of the uh, PC plan to bring this all under one umbrella?
1: Well, I'm just not clear what it is that they're talking about and what it is that they're planning to do because the Canadian system is not public delivery. Doctors are private. Hospitals are private. Everyone who delivers care is private. There just happens to be public funding for some of those things. So, uh, I'm reading over the proposals and it's very hard to figure out exactly what they're proposing to do. Uh,
0: at first glance, uh, although uh, not aware of much detail right now, your thoughts, I mean, are they heading in the right direction?
1: Well, it depends what they're planning to do. Uh, You know, For certain of the things in terms of coordination, yes, because one of the ongoing problems is that in Canada, under the Canada Health Act, all that is required to be paid for is doctors and hospitals. So if you look at uh, the Devlin report on hallway medicine, one of the things they're pointing out is there's problems with mental health, there's problems with pharmaceuticals, there's problems with home care. But it's not clear if the plan is to start covering those things Or, you know, exactly what the plan is. And then also when you talk about setting up these new organizations that are supposed to coordinate care, a very small number of people account for most of the health costs. Maybe this top 1% is over 30% of health care spending. But if they allow these things to be competitive, the easiest way to make money is not take those patients. So do we want to set up a model like the U.S. insurance thing in which sick people don't get covered and the insurers make a whole bunch of money by uh, taking on people who don't need a lot of care? Uh, You can't tell if that's what they're proposing. uh,
0: You don't sound very positive about this.
1: Well, I'd be more positive if I knew what they were trying to do. Uh, I mean, if certain of the things that they're talking about could be terrific. But I'm sort of waiting to see what it is. Is it that the exact proposal says they're planning to do? Uh, also, there's some overstatements there, like they're saying how bad Ontario is in a national context. And no, it isn't. We're pre- there's some things we do better on. There's some things we do worse on. And most things, from the CHIHI data, we look very similar to the rest of the country.
0: Uh, would I you? Mean, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, it's okay. It's The trouble is that one size does not fit all. So what I would need if I was somebody with, you know, a young person with leukemia is very different than what I would need if I'm somebody who just is generally pretty healthy and doesn't need a lot of services.
0: Why would bringing uh, services and management of those under one umbrella deter from the services themselves?
1: Well, because if, if you're talking of one umbrella, what are you going to say? Are you going to say that the hospital costs also have we're giving you one budget and some of it will go for hospitals, some of it will go for home care. You know, there's fixed costs. Let's say I'm in a, a small community. Uh there's not a lot of people coming in, but I still have to have the costs there to have that facility in place. So there's fixed costs, there's marginal costs and what the cost pattern is going to is going to vary. What they found when they set up the um, new models for paying doctors. Uh, where they were giving them capitated payments. What was happening is that the doctors were not capitating the sick people. So they were getting overpaid for the people that they were seeing and they were still billing fee-for-service for the sick ones. So you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Things will work for some sort of, um what happens if I'm in a rural remote community and you're not going to have the expertise and you're going to have to send someone down to sick kids. How's that going to be paid for? So it's, you know, things that will work for some populations and some things won't work for others, and the idea that there's a one solution.
0: Can we please everybody with the health care system? I mean, is that possible?
1: Well, no, I mean, what, the way you try to please people is you try to make sure you get the care you need, you don't get the care you don't need, and it's high quality. And nobody has been able to make a... There's always trade-offs around how you do it. So when I was reading it, I, I'm not going to be incredibly critical because I can't quite figure out what it is that they're planning to do. There are some things that can make things a lot better. There's some things that can make things a lot worse. And there's some things that are just going to change one set of problems for another. And it's too hard to tell from what I have been reading in the background material exactly what they're planning.
0: You don't sound hopeful. Do you think it's better under the old system?
1: Well, I don't think there's one system. I think... You know, part of the no, but I mean, we're at a,
0: you know, it's interesting because you know, it's interesting interviewing all kinds of politicians, all kinds of health care experts, and I'm coming from the standpoint of, of of people who are who are just citizens trying to understand, navigate all of this, and it doesn't see, you know, we hear a lot of he said, she said, this will work, that will work, but nobody seems to be coming forth with solutions, and and what I guess uh, Minister Elliot has said is too much time and attention is spent on maintaining a siloed and fragmented system will it be better if it's brought under uh, one umbrella I mean it's obvious that efficiencies have to be found within the healthcare system we have to we have to do things better are we moving in the right direction
1: yeah but you're not gonna find quote efficiencies with this because um, I mean think it through is the services that I would need the same as the services that a, uh, a young person... No, I,
0: I understand that completely, you know? but how would bringing it under one system create that problem?
1: Because there's different expertise you need for different things, and it's a waste of time and money trying to put them together. I mean, the one system that you have is good family practice. So your family doctor is trying to be coordinating a lot of that. And I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing where do family doctors come in? Are they saying that they're going to put family doctors in as part of a hospital? Um, I take a look at the sort of people who come through sick kids. It's a very small thing, but they're serving the whole province. So are you really going to say that a locally-based team integrated with people giving home care to seniors is also going to be trying to manage the one or two people and they're they're, they're going to need sick kids?
0: What would be your advice to government on this?
1: Um, My advice to government would be uh, try to see whether or not there are certain things that we're not funding because they're not in hospitals. That it might be very cost effective to expand what we're doing. And I mean, pharmacare is one. Mental health is another. Uh, if we had better mental health coverage and better mental health treatment. What about the LIN
0: systems? Are they efficient? Are they working?
1: Well, I mean, all the LIN was was a way of saying let's fund. Instead of sending the money directly to the hospitals, we'll send it to this intermediate organization. So were they working? Not particularly. What they were supposed to be doing was coordinating a lot of the other non-hospital services, and I don't think they're necessarily doing it that well. The other thing is the boundaries that they have for the Lins don't always make that much sense because they're cutting across uh, municipal boundaries and they don't necessarily coincide with how people are getting care. So they're doing some things well, but there's other things that, yeah, could be improved.
0: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML going to bring in Tim Powers, Vice Chairman, Summa Strategy, he served as an advisor to National Party leaders and cabinet ministers. And uh, also, uh, obviously going to talk about what's going on in Ottawa, but want to get his take on what's going on south of the border as well. Tim, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate your attendance here.
2: I am happy to be with you, Scott, just to let you know I'm adhering to the laws. I'm pulled over on the
0: side of the road. If you hear blinking, that's the hazard light. so We want to be in line with all those Ontario laws about driving. Good for you. I'm glad to see you. There's no need breaking the law just to be on the show. We don't ask that of you, that's for sure. Yeah, and I don't think you guys would be rushing to my defense either. Anyway, of course we uh... would. I'd do anything I could to help. You know that, Tim. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Scott. You could tweet out like Trump and Cohen. That that'd be a good thing. I feel great. All right. Before we touch on uh, everything that's happening in Ottawa and SNC Lavalin and such, uh, south of the border, uh, Michael Cohen, his personal, Trump's personal lawyer, testifying. Will we find out anything new here? Is is this just titillating TV? What's going to happen out of this?
2: There's a lot of titillating TV and raucous radio these days. I guess with all these sorts of stories. I don't think we're going to find out anything new, but it, it really, I guess it depends on what what is going on between Trump and Cohen. Who wants to stick it to who? Um, certainly Trump before has uh, has come out and whacked Cohen when statements have come out. Does Cohen plan a, some sort of revenge? Um, I'm I'm not so sure, uh, but you, you can never predict with both of these particular characters because they seem to, seem to be a bit whirly and devious,
0: Scott. Uh, that being said, the White House painting that picture of Cohen, and I, I, I don't think we need too much proof of that. Uh, that being said, does not not bring up the question, well, what the heck's he doing hanging out with him and letting him be his lawyer for 10 years? Well, you know, cash can make people uh,
1: develop
2: strange relationships and bonds, I I guess, uh, in in that world, in that New York real estate world, in that New York social world. Trump was a big deal. He's still a big deal. He's president, whether you like him or not. A guy like Michael Cohen liked being around a big deal uh, and was prepared to... to, uh, do what was necessary, or so it has been described in different places, to make sure that his boss was happy. He's not the first, nor will he be the last person that uh, kowtows to power and, and then perhaps gets a bit of a bitter taste in his mouth.
0: All right, let's move uh, up north of the border. Uh, the Prime Minister announcing late yesterday that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould can testify, as long as she doesn't touch on areas of the case to to, to harm that in any way. Why is this happening now? Is there a deal? Um, is there a mm-hmm. win-win for everyone here?
2: I don't know if there's a win-win for everyone, but I think there's a bigger loss, symbolic and otherwise, if the Prime Minister didn't waive uh, solicitor-client privilege it would look like uh they would be in a place of being guilty. And that's been the constant criticism, which is a pretty normal one for people to make. All right, if you say there's nothing to hide, why don't you let her speak? So he's rolling the dice and waving the privilege, or the Justice Department is. She's going to speak. I guess, now let's not forget last week, all the drama of last week, uh Jody wilson Rebel spoke to cabinet. She spoke to caucus. She continues to say she's a team. You know, she's going to be on the Liberal team in October when the election is happening. She's going to run again. So, I guess they're hoping whatever she has to say can be managed more effectively than the way they've managed this thus far.
0: But they must know what she's going to say in order to allow her to the, the freedom to say that. I mean, there has to be some sort of guideline moving forward. Uh, or are they just, all right, let her go out and spill the milk. We'll just get ready with the napkins to mop it up.
2: Yeah, well, I, I think they can guess what she's going to say. I mean, I think Michael Wernick, the clerk, we talked about this last week, foreshadowed that he thinks she's going to focus on... Uh, three specific meeting dates with uh, the Prime Minister, uh, two of the Prime Minister's senior staff, and then another meeting with the Prime Minister and the clerk. Uh, so if that's what the, the, the government is hoping she'll speak about, I'm sure they will offer their rationale around all of that. Um, you know, Miss wilson Rabel has a bit of credibility on the line, too, here. She can't appear that this has all been about a revenge plot and a, a deal to, you know, get rid of Jerry Butts, who left last week, the principal secretary. So she's got to strike a point and, and, and have people understand, all right, if you did feel you were pressured, because this has been the pushback, as you know, why didn't you step down? Because that's what the ministerial convention right. would suggest. So it'll be interesting to see how those things play out, how she has response to that question, because no doubt she's going to be asked about it. And just show, so your listeners understand, like, it is truly unprecedented to go before a justice committee or any committee of the House of Commons and get this thirty minutes, which I gather she's going to get to make your case anybody doesn't matter who they are uh in, in normal circumstances when they go before these committees, you get five maybe seven minutes, depending how generous the chairperson is of the committee, and then you're done. The rest is question and answer, so those first thirty minutes I think are perhaps going to be greatly in uh indicative of where she's going to go and how she's going to brand. Her behavior over the last two and a half weeks because she has been calling the shots as we said last week
0: Uh, where say she comes out and says that she was pressured where does that leave what the clerk of the Privy Council said I mean again is it it end up being a definition of what is pressure Uh, it bothered her it didn't bother him where is that going uh, well, it depends, I guess, at who she points the finger at and says she was pressured. I
2: mean, maybe all the fingers are going to end up being pointed at, at Jerry Butts, um, and he's now gone, as we know. Um, the Prime Minister has never hesitated to apologize. I think that may be the next step here. If she says, look, I felt unduly pressured, Prime Minister can come out again. He apologized last week, as you know, saying I should have said something when she was being denigrated in editorial cartoons and elsewhere um so i don't know how much more immediate damage within the prime minister's sanctum will somebody else lose their job again it will depend on on what she says I, I i can't see that necessarily happening but again this has been really hard to predict all the way along because as you started our conversation last week um after she made the rounds with cabinet and caucus this notion of oh there's a deal on the table was coming out And then when the Prime Minister was in my home town of St. John's, Newfoundland, uh, last Friday, he was very forceful in saying he didn't understand why she resigned. So they're either very cunning, and some might say they are, or they're still a little clumsy, and people aren't quite sure where this is going to go.
0: So will Butts end up being the scapegoat here? It all turns out that he's the big bad boy, and he's been gone for a while now, so there's nothing to see here. Let's mop up and move on? Uh, Possibly, but the government
2: has to be careful. I mean, uh, well established uh, that uh, Jerry Butts is a good friend of the Prime Minister, best friends. The uh, Prime Minister has been very praiseworthy, as of many of his senior cabinet ministers, about Jerry since he stepped down. Um, I mean, he could be the scapegoat, but they have to be careful how much scapegoating they do with him because they also don't want to create this situation where. Jerry Butts then feels he needs to take on Jody Wilson-Raybould in public. They want this story to go away. And the longer it is hanging out, as I'm sure you reported, the Angus Reid poll was one to suggest today that this is having an impact on the government, They want this to go away. So if Jerry Butts gets scapegoated too aggressively, he might decide he needs to speak further. The story keeps going. More questions continue to be asked, and and it takes the government off-brand and off-message. They want to get to people focusing on their budget in two weeks and away from all of this.
0: What do you think she wants out of this, and how does she balance that with harming the party? I mean, she wants the truth out, so if the truth is what we think it is, and she was pressured, that obviously doesn't bode well for the party. So how does she say what she wants but not kill the party in the next election?
2: Well, and just extending your your line of thought, if if she didn't like all this, why is she prepared to run for the Liberal Party again, right? Uh, So again, she's got some some personal branding, and 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 uh, clearly she's a very thoughtful individual. She's managed this all very well thus far, so I'm sure she's going to be prepared for, for that. But I, I guess where the government wants this to go now is to say, look, we're like any other family. We have our good moments, we have our bad moments, but we didn't hide any of this. We were very open and transparent. It hurt us, uh, but you see how we deal with things, and they're going to try and make this about openness as opposed to, conniving political pressure that shouldn't have been brought to bear in the beginning that seems to be often the strategy the prime minister takes it's that it's gotten him political success in the past the question is how far and how deep is the die cast
0: is this all a a distraction from the real issue again the apologies come out he does what he does best being the feminist leader that he is uh does this all distract from the crime that could have been committed and that being uh trying to help out snc lablin where does it leave that case
2: no it doesn't uh i mean it just doesn't help snc i mean all of this uh, you know if you are to be if, if what is To be believed in terms of the prime minister and the government's events look we're trying to help this business it's important they should have led with that in my view as i've said all along but how can you do anything for snc now the new attorney general david lametti who originally said well maybe he would look at one of these deferred prosecution agreements how can they possibly go there and if they can't go there you will have seen stories over the weekend emerging that there's some new legislation afoot uh, that would change the way procurement is done in Canada and not unlike a deferred prosecution agreement uh this legislation would uh try to be fair when dealing with companies who have had corrupt practice and other criminal charges laid against them maybe they go there and hope that gets buried somewhere but it's hard to imagine the spotlight comes off at SNC, and SNC is a publicly traded company. It's got to make decisions at some point as to what it wants to do. It doesn't want to continue to be in the, the, the epicenter of Canadian po- uh, political drama. Uh, it wants to inflate value, create a return for its shareholders. Maybe in the end what happens is SNC continues, because it has been, doing less business in Canada because it's not worth the hassle, and that may impact their Canadian employees. So this all sort of blows up. In the government face, so I would say this. I realize I'm rambling. You, the by-elections last night, Outremont, of course, was the Quebec seat. It uh, was a previously Liberal seat. They won it back. I don't think we've seen any evidence yet in Quebec that this is working one way or another for the Liberals. I mean, uh, certainly it didn't negatively impact them in Outremont. I'm not sure that it helped elevate them either. You know, the Prime Minister's argument: they're standing up for business. But it's having a political impact. We're seeing that in different polls. How deep and lasting that will be uh, will only depend on how this tale continues to be spun.
0: So, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, easily the most powerful politician in Ottawa this week. What does Justin Trudeau do with her moving forward? Does he <laughs> does he promote her? Uh, I don't do,
2: think. What he, does he do? yeah I mean well, that'd be a mad bad management practice here. Example. take my
0: office, take my car take, what, what does he do for? Her? you you know, you go out and you uh,
2: plead your case- whoever pled your case for you or did somebody plead your case for you? you hold cabinet ransom, you hold caucus ransom. I'm sure uh, she's not viewing it that way, but others in her party would be uh that's not a precedent you want to set. I think he could probably put. Jody wilson Rabel back in cabinet if they won after the next election. But if he put her back now, uh, in now, I think that sets a really dangerous precedent. It's also dangerous for her. What makes it, if it wasn't palatable two and a half weeks ago, To go back into cabinet, Um, you're healed now after your testimony. You're prepared to go back in Mm -hmm. with a better position. I mean, that would look so odious, to use your word, a deal like a backroom deal to make this go away. That may be worse in the way it's perceived by the public than the rest of this stuff.
0: How divided is the Liberal Party on all of this? Well, they say they're not, but you know, of course, all political parties. Say Many that. of the caucus wanted out, Butz out. That was the rumor. Yeah, that was a key thing.
2: I think that that's where there's unity, and that was maybe a smart move on Butz's part to throw himself out there as the sacrificial lamb, and the prime ministers to accept it. Um, I, look, I, I think they're they're anxious uh, is the best way of describing it, and some are really irritated at Jody wilson or Abel for creating, in their view, this mess. They will blame her and not the PMO. Uh, Others are on side with her, but they're they're anxious. It hasn't broken into all-out war, because the Liberals are familiar with what their war did to them when it was Martin Khrushchev years. And they also know, despite all of this, and again, you saw it in this Angus Reid poll, um, Justin Trudeau was still the Liberal Party's biggest asset. So going out and uh, dumping on the PM is not going to help many of the MPs' re-election chances. So he has that to wield over them: his own popularity.
0: Uh, Can the Prime Minister's office use butts again, or is that damaged goods?
2: I can. It's a question of when. I mean, he, uh, I don't think he can come back into the Prime Minister's office, but the suggestion around here in Ottawa is that he will be part of the campaign, uh, whether he has an official role or quietly is, I'm sure he's quietly doing some work, and I mean that in no nefarious way. It's hard to imagine that Jerry Butts, I know him a little bit. Is entirely checked out. He's very loyal to the prime minister, but does he come back in an official capacity? He could in 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 the party, but I think it would be a few months before that happened.
0: So, what do you think we'll be talking about at the end of the week? Will will this be, oh my goodness, they've they've fallen on the sword and just decided to apologize their way out of this or will we get a much watered down version of what we thought this was?
2: I think we'll still be talking about this and there'll be some new questions. It's I, I I just, you know, I I think we'll be talking about, okay, why did she stay in cabinet? I I think it's hard to imagine. She goes in there and says, this has all been blown out of proportion because there were easier ways to do that than, you know, invoking solicitor client privilege and going two and a half weeks and causing all this damage. I think the discussion at the end of the week is going to be Okay. Does somebody else need to go? And the opposition party is going to make this about how you know deep is the government rot. Where else is this happening? And is there going to be some other sort of special deal for SNC?
0: Is this too deep in the woods for the average Canadian? I think the issue itself is, but I think the constant message
2: about likely the government did something wrong hangs around there. And when you put it in with other things, which the opposition, the government's critics will do, that's where the damage would come. Again, it was really interesting in that Reed poll, and it's only one and I don't have any commercial interest in the Reed poll state that I actually own another polling company. But I think it was 70, or no, 60 odd percent of Canadians thought that there was something wrong. So the guy you know the opposition are going to want to play that up. So they don't know the finer details of all of this but something doesn't feel right and that's what uh the the opponents of the government will push and the government will try and say look, we may have been clumsy but we did this for right reasons. Look at how we have tried to put all this back together. Shaming us for not being better at that, but in the end we all that was right was done. We're sorry if we felt uh, the the minister felt she was pressured, that wasn't our intention our intentions were good. So that will be the spin battle that happens afterwards.
0: Uh, We've talked in the past if the prime minister will run the same sort of campaign he did the first time, the warm and fuzzy, the the sunny ways, the selfies, what have you. Have the events of the last several weeks or even since Christmas uh, changed the campaign strategy at all?
2: Um, A little bit. I mean, I think he's going to find, I I think he hoped and most first-term governments hope that their mistakes are easier to brush off in your first re-election bid. You have a record, but it's not a significant record, and you hopefully can point to more achievements and success. They're going to point at the economy and say they're doing a good job and say, look, even in this case of SNC, it was about us doing something with the economy. But I think they've gotten to a place which is always a dangerous one for a liberal government sooner than perhaps they would have liked that it's about entitlement and self-interest. I'm not sure, though, that there's enough broad public awareness of that and the different things that will be put together in that tapestry of criticism from others uh, to, to hurt the government. But they continue to make this election more competitive a year ago i think most people would have predicted it would be a cakewalk yeah um it's not going to be necessary today it would not be a cakewalk in six months i'm not so sure i don't i think it's going to still be competitive but uh, they've they've changed the circumstances nobody else has done that to them
0: they've done that to themselves self-inflicted you're right tim powers has been with us vice chairman summa strategies tim as always thanks so much for the time much appreciated talk soon scott bye You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. We always love talking about this great city and uh, the little communities within it that have just exploded in, when did I come here? 2000? 1999? Can't remember now. Somewhere around the turn of the century. Uh, anyway, it was very different Hamilton then than it is now, and we spent a lot of time talking to people and trying to promote the city and 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 wondering how it was going to move to the next level, how it was going to move forward and grow, and little did we know it was all these little beautiful neighborhoods that had been in the uh, in the city forever that were going to rejuvenate themselves, and and really. Start start this growth from from the street from the ground level up, and, and that's exactly what's happened. And I mean, you know, you just have to look at communities and, and, and what's happened uh, in, in the James Street North area, and so on and so forth, and how those little pockets are starting to spread, including Barton Street. Uh, Barton Street BIA doing what it can to bring that street back to life. They've got a good start. They got Rachel Braithwaite there, executive director Barton Village BIA, and with us now, Rachel. Thanks for the time, much appreciated.
3: My pleasure, Scott. Thanks for having me on again.
0: All right, so let's, before we get started in in, in talking about the history of the street and such, give us uh, all the stuff in regard to the event you're having uh, coming up in First Friday and all that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, for sure. So we are doing our, uh, we're starting new, uh, new monthly events this year. So the first Friday of every month, we're doing Barton First Fridays. And it's basically businesses along the street have been partnering with local vendors. And we just said, let's all do it on the same night. So, they are. They're all working together, and a lot of our businesses are staying open late till 9 p.m., and they're hosting local vendors, they're hosting live entertainment, artists, that kind of stuff, um, and then uh, doing specials often. Um, we're really excited because this Friday night is the opening of the Playhouse, um, which is, mm. is beautiful now, so that's completely being revitalized. We're really excited about that. And then we've also got um, Shay Dine um, is running a cooking demonstration at 541 at 630. So, lots going on. It's exciting.
0: And this is going to continue starting this Friday, the first Friday of every month moving forward. You got it. So, uh, obviously spawned off great things happening in other parts of the city. Uh, uh, Well, first of all, let's talk, uh, what is the boundary of the Barton Village BIA? Let's get in that first.
3: Yeah, good question. So we basically our ge- geographical area is from Ferguson through to Sherman. We go north a little bit up off Barton to uh, Princess, in between Wentworth and Birch.
0: So, uh, how describe Barton? What it used to be in its heyday, and what happened?
3: Well, Barton is Hamilton's historic shopping district, right? So it's got this beautiful historic built form, beautiful buildings. They were always, you know, the kind of mom-and-pop shops where there, there was a commercial on the ground floor and then the, the business owner would live above and they would own the building. They'd take great care and take great pride in it. Um, and then it serviced a lot of the steelworker families, right? So they'd, they'd be lineups up the local butcher, or the local grocer, or the local mm-hmm. bu- uh, bakery, Um, And then what happened? What happened in Hamilton, right? Steel workers, unfortunately, a lot of jobs were lost. We saw the decline of the industry. And it really hit hard on Barton. Um, But we're seeing revival again. We're really excited. We've had 10 businesses open in the last year. We've got two opening in the next couple weeks and two restaurants opening in the next couple months. So we're excited.
0: Uh, Tell us your story. How long have you been there? What interested you in this city? How have you seen it change?
3: Um, Those are a lot of questions. Let's see if I can remember them well. So I live off Barton Street, um, and I love Barton Street. It is my community, um, and I see so many gems in this, this street. And I guess I got a bit frustrated because there was a lot of negative press about Barton when I first moved here. And I didn't think it was warranted. So I said, we need to do something positive. Somebody needs to start a festival. Um, And then I sat back and I said, I can't point a finger and say somebody needs to. I need to. And so I started the Barton Village Festival um, as a community member, just volunteering my time. Um, And the BIA came to me and said, look, great initiative. We want you to work with us. And I had no clue what a BI even was, never mind anything else. Wow. Um, but, but my passion is this community, right, and seeing it become all it can be. So it, it worked really well.
0: And how yeah. have you seen it change in 10 years?
3: Um, a huge change. I mean, even if you look at the festival, this will be our fifth year. Last year, we had over, almost 25,000 people out to Barton Street. So that's huge, that alone, Um, and then plus all the new businesses that are opening, right? We're starting to see that revival where we've got a good mix now of of different things, whereas before it was a lot of, um, you know, kind of the the mom-and-pop shops that have been there for a long time that have been very successful because they've got a great product, and and they've kind of been the resilient ones that have kept things going, but there was a lot of vacancies beside them, so we're starting to see those fill, which is really exciting, so You know, we've got more coffee shops. We've got more candy shops and cake shops and and eateries. And so it's exciting.
0: Uh, We should say, though, a great uh, article today in The Spectator from Paul Wilson on all of this, which is where we got the idea to have you on today. And there's no reason needed, really, when you think about it, any time to promote the city. Um, What has the city done for you to help you with this?
3: The city has been very supportive. Um, so they've got some great financial incentives that are available out there. Specifically for Barton and Camelworth, we have two grants that are only available for those streets. And one is a matching grant of up to $50,000 for any improvement in the property. So that pretty much that could be, you know, a case of you need a new AC unit, a new furnace, um, any of that kind of stuff. Right. So it, it's never been offered to, to property owners before, so we're, we're excited for that. We've seen a huge uptake on that grant that has made it this street attractive, right? So that's exciting. And, and the good thing that, that I notice is we're not just getting, you know, often developers get this negative name because they're just after, you know.
0: Money, 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 money. Yeah. going to rape the community and just take everybody's money.
3: Exactly, but we're not seeing that. Yeah. I mean, we have developers on our board that are stepping up, that are you know integrating in the community. They want to better this community, and they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. And they're not displacing people. They're actually keeping the, the current tenants in their properties, but they're still fixing them up. So um, that, that's recur- um, very encouraging for me to see, that it's not the typical what people think it is, We've got people that are coming to Barton that care about Barton.
0: Uh, as with any great old city, there's pockets, there's communities that, that have their own personality. Uh, and I guess the first th- that we saw recently that, that that has established itself, obviously James Street uh, North, in, in regard uh, to super crawl and art crawl and, and, and such, we've seen that organically grow. We're now seeing that in, in other pockets throughout the downtown. What can you use from other parts of the city as, as templates, uh, is there something you can take or is it not a one-size-fits-all? What, what can you learn from the other communities who have experienced this and where we've seen growth?
3: hmm good, good question. Um, so, I would say they're all somewhat individualized for sure, but collaboration is huge and that's how you be successful, right? So. In Hamilton, we have 13 different BIAs, and, and we're a good, close group that where we do share ideas. And, and you know, there's a lot of R&D, ripoff and duplicate, because there's no point reinventing the wheel. If something works there, let's try it here, right? So um, sometimes it works, and sometimes we need a different model slightly, but... Um, but definitely, there's, there's a lot of collaboration that happens, which is great.
0: When you see one takeoff or a situation that works, does it spawn others? Or is it all interest in the same area? Because now many will say, well, that's not where the real opportunity is in now. The, the real opportunities are in Barton or Ottawa or wherever. Uh, James is done in that respect. It's already been discovered. Um, mm-hmm. As you move forward with this, does one spawn the other?
3: Sometimes, for sure. Like, I mean, what we've seen with James Street is, unfortunately, some um, tenants have been displaced a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they are looking for new areas. They're looking for new locations that are still somewhat affordable that they can move to and keep running their studio or their space. Um, So definitely um, things like that do um, spread out to other areas, if you know what I mean. I mean, we had a few businesses with the LRT issues. Um, who had to leave their property for whatever reason, that have come to Barton Street. So, I mean, one of those is St. Vincent de Paul that completely transformed 75-square-foot se- transformed um, space right on Barton Street. So, completely renovated a building, made it beautiful, and now we have a great retail space on Barton
0: You know, you bring up a very valid point that I didn't think about. And, you know, again, for years, for decades, it's when's the turnaround coming? How do we keep fueling this? And then uh, once it does happen, uh, all of a sudden you have different issues on on your plate now that things start to become successful. And that is displacement of those who kept those communities alive, uh, you know, way back when times were difficult. Are you Mm -hmm. seeing, are you benefiting from that displacement in a sense that, you know, people are moving from one neighbourhood to another or finding out uh, where the next opportunity is?
3: A little bit, for sure. Like, I mean, if you look at some of our businesses, some of them have been displaced from other areas, or a lot of them, the majority, in fact, are new businesses that have a dream. And currently, we're one of the only locations that can fulfil that dream because we're one of the locations that have still got that affordable rent piece, right? So... I mean, the displacement thing is a a big worry for us, for sure, because we, you know, don't want to displace people. Um, I think it's unfortunate that the mom and pop style of, you know, live above, work below is really dying down. And and that saddens me because when you purchase a property and you own that property, you've got stability and you've got the ability to say, you know, the rents going up either side of me doesn't affect me because I own my property. So that means that that business is going to be able to stay there and stay open. And because we're not seeing that model as much, it does worry me.
0: So what is the new model? How do you make it work?
3: Well, from the majority of our businesses, it's they're all leased, right? And then they're, the residential above are, are leased out to different people, right. not the same typically. Um And I get, you know, that's just the way things are. I think the reason it is that way, though, is because it's so hard to buy commercial property. You have to have a larger down payment. You need to do environmental assessments. You need to jump through so many loopholes. It's hard.
0: When you started this, did you know what you wanted Barton to be or just that you wanted it to be better? How do you make sure when you're doing this, and we've talked many times with many city officials about this, you're building something, but you're not building it from scratch. How do you make sure you don't get halfway through and go, "Ooh, shush, we should have done it that way instead of this way? <laughs> w- what about the plan? What do you want
3: this to be? So I don't think I ever thought I want Barton to be better because I have always loved my community. It's always been a Mm -hmm. How do I showcase Barton, and how do I make it shine so that other people can fall in love with it like I do? Um, So, Barton has always been a great community. It's a resilient, it's a real community, Um, and I think that's one of our strong points, right? You, You know, it's not a case of, oh, Barton, you know, poor thing, or let's make it better, let's, you know... That's not my well. Mentality. People will
0: always compare it to one, you know, to what it once was, yeah. and and how it was flourishing during those times of the steel industry and 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 servicing mm-hmm. the residents in the North End and such. But obviously, with that gone and the vacancies, you know, it is what it is, right? That's reality.
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I would argue though, if you've got some of the best businesses on Barton Street. Because they're here still, they stuck it out through the thick and thin, and they're still successful, right? And there's a reason they're successful because they've got a great product or a great service.
0: Why did you fall in love with Barton? Because you were um, there. You were there ten years ago before mm-hmm. this. This was this uh, refurb was starting. So, what did you see?
3: Where, was the, where communi- was the potential yeah. for you? I saw the community. I saw that. You know, it was almost like this, this gem that just needed a little bit of shining, so to speak, that there's, there's so much potential with Barton Street. It's such a beautiful street with a great community around it. And, and just, yeah, I think I saw the potential and I saw, you know, I really integrated into the community, which I think is key. I got to know my neighbors and saw how amazing they are and, and just fell in love.
0: Is it just a matter of time considering how the city is expanding, considering how the city is moving forward, becoming profitable again, uh, flourishing again? Is it just a matter of time before that area is doing the same?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think but you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, Barton Street's got another ten years before it's there. I would disagree. I mean, if you look at what happened just this last year. So 10 businesses alone opened. We had huge redevelopment. I mean, Westinghouse, that sat empty for 32 years, has now been completely redeveloped, and we're getting seven floors of commercial space. The Playhouse Cinema, which sat empty for another number of years, has now been beautifully restored. I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous, and their opening night is on Friday. So there's been so many huge pieces that are happening on Barton Street that people never thought would happen. So it, it's happening.
0: And I guess in the end, the proof is in the pudding. If you can see progress, I mean, uh, <laughs> there it is. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. deny that. Yeah, absolutely. What do you want Hamiltonians to take away from all of this? What, what, what do you want, especially when you're having things like First Fridays? What do, you, what do you? Is this strictly for community? You're trying to bring in those from outside. What do you want Hamiltonians to take away from this?
3: Um, I want them to give Barton another chance. I think a lot of people um, who aren't familiar with Barton Street or they, they were here in the heyday, so to speak, and they've seen it at it, it, its downtime, I want them to give it another chance, right? I think if you come out and experience Barton Street, you will change your perception. You will see that there's all these great new little restaurants and coffee shops and stores that have opened, and it's a great place to come that's welcoming and open and and just give it a chance which is why we're doing the Barton First Fridays right we're we're giving you that night where you know come on in and experience
0: all right let's uh, plug first fridays again uh, first one kicking off this week uh, again give us a quick synopsis what you're trying to do here
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah so barton first fridays the first friday of every month um from 3 to 9 we basically all our businesses will be open till 9 p.m. And they'll be hosting local vendors, um, local artists, crafters, and entertainment. Um, And then we often pair it with with something special. So this this week we're excited because we've got the opening of the Playhouse. And um, we are also doing... We they dine a uh, cooking demonstration at 541. So we're excited.
0: All right, I'm going to read you a note I just got from a listener, and I'll let you respond to this because they're talking about the heyday. When I was a child in the 60s, my grandmother used to take me to Barton Street on Saturday afternoons. You couldn't move on the sidewalk. Fruits, vegetables all lined the shelves in front of stores. My greatest memory of Barton Street was hearing the Salvation Army band playing All You Need Is Love in front of the old General Hospital and listening to people sing along. Those were the days. Finish that, finish that sentence, finish that paragraph.
3: I, I, I think that's amazing. I love that story. So those are the days, and those are the days that are going to come back, I think. I mean, it might not be exactly the same, because unfortunately we don't have the local butchers and the local greengrocers, and it's going to be a bit different, but it, it's coming back. I mean, our festival, like I said, we fill the street with live music and entertainment and a pop-up park, and so It's coming.
0: Website to find out more?
3: BartonVillage.ca
0: BartonVillage.ca That's BartonVillage.ca This Friday, the first uh, First Friday, and uh, continuing Every single month, 3 till 9 Rachel Braithwaite has been with us, Executive Director Barton Village BIA Rachel, what a great selling job Uh, Congratulations, keep up the great work
3: Thank you so much, Scott. Have a great
0: day. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.